Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Over the Cap podcast. It's November 18th, 2022, and this is Jason Fitzgerald. You can find me on Twitter, at least for now, at Jason underscore OTC, or you can email me, Jason at overthecap.com. Uh, I'm back in my usual little recording spot this week after a little bit of time off. So we have Nelly here, Nelly the Bunny. Nelly, anything? So uh, Nelly, Nelly is good to go. We'll see what noises uh, Nelly decides to make during the course of the night. Uh, couldn't do the podcast last week. The kids had gotten a little bit sick again the other week. I'm convinced it's all the time that we've spent um, with the masks and stuff on. Now we're like being reintroduced to all this stuff. I'm ready to go put the mask back on them uh, when they go to school. So anyway, they, they were a little bit under the weather and then dad ended up under the weather too. So that, that just kind of made it a little bit more difficult last week to uh to kind of pop in and just sneak another podcast in but even though we're a little bit congested still uh i, I think we can get through a podcast now and i think we're pretty much uh back on the way to uh good health once again so for our beer of the night we're doing the uh southern tier 2 xmas uh spice dale i love this beer um I'm just going to try it, make sure it's still good and it's still great. Uh, usually I can't find this. So th- this is a this is one of my favorite seasonal beers that really anybody puts out. And I, I didn't expect to really ever like this um, when I got it. I just kind of got it on a whim one time. I said, oh, you know, I like Southern Tier. I'll, I'll try it out. I said, this is great. You know, the, the, the blend of spices that they use in this, it really does. It, it brings forth that holiday kind of feeling. Um, so I... I saw this at the liquor store today, and I was like, all right, I got to get it. Now I'm almost wishing that I had, I got more of it because it always disappears quickly. And like I said, I can never find it. And just trying it out, I would say definitely still the way that I remembered it. I don't think I've had this in probably two, three years. So I'll probably only have one, maybe two during the course of this, uh, only because we're still doing the low carb, and this is by no means whatsoever Um anything remotely low carb so you know i can handle one of them two of them might be a little bit more of a shock but uh maybe we'll maybe we'll do two of them tonight since uh we'll call this a special event uh but yeah this is really good if you can if you can find this and you want to try something that's a little bit different um i really highly recommend this one it's a uh you know if you're looking for um you know kind of the 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 smells that come with this or you know, the kind of that taste. I, you know, it's that cinnamon, um, ginger, nutmeg, um, maybe a touch of um, orange peel. I'd say it's just, it's just really good, but it, it's going to have a lot, a lot of flavor, a lot of uh, boldness up front. And so if that's not your, your thing, you probably won't like it. But if you want to try something a little bit different and you can find it, just get a six pack, get one of them, two of them and uh try them out but yeah i really i really do love this one i was excited to uh to be able to find it so anyway this week i I think i wanted to start out and actually not talk about football we'll get to football in a little bit i don't know how long i'll talk about this but uh you know i plan on talking about justin jefferson tonight and i think a little bit about Derek carr i think those are the two things that I'll, i'll probably touch on um but you know i think what i really wanted to start with was what happened on Twitter yesterday, where you you basically had a number of people leaving Twitter, and you've kind of got Twitter as a shell of a company, 
And a lot of people were afraid that Twitter was going to go dark and, you know, Twitter was going to disappear. And, you know, we'll look for some stuff if that extreme was to happen. You know, a lot of people have said, try Mastodon. I'll probably get an account there at some point. I looked at it. I didn't really get the whole server system. Couldn't really find a server that seemed to fit anything that made sense in my little realm here. But uh, I'll probably just grab something and just, just to have it in the back pocket. But, you know, I, I hope that the... the t- Twitter doesn't really go away. You know, Twitter still has a really good purpose, I think, in, you know, in our society. For all the negatives that come with Twitter and the, um, some of the bad actors that are on there where the people that get the, the keyboard muscles and just say all kinds of crazy stuff. You know, in my case, if somebody says crazy stuff, I don't care. I'm reading a computer screen. What do I care? You know, if somebody's standing in front of me and they say something and they have a weapon, okay, I care. If somebody's like, I wish you were dead, I don't care. You know, it, it doesn't it doesn't bother me. You know, you, you do have to have thick skin, um, I think, with some of the stuff, with some of the comments that do come your way. But the alternate is, you know, all the good that it does, the different communities that form on here, the different ways that you can interact. I can definitely say that OTC and salary cap stuff, it wouldn't be where it was, where it is right now, if it wasn't for Twitter, I don't think Pro Football Focus would be where they were if it wasn't for the early days of Twitter. It's a very different form of social media than, say, Facebook. This is really your your main interactive form, at least right now, you know, real-time interaction social media. You know, I used to say that Twitter is like the world's largest sports bar, but it's so many other things. Um you know, that that can happen there in different discussions. I happen to mainly be in the, the realm of just talking about sports. But I can say through the years, I've met a ton of just great, interesting people um, through this platform. And a lot of people have reached out to me, whether they work in the NFL, maybe now they work in the NFL but didn't before, um, or just fans, or maybe even people that dislike me, or whatever. And, you know, you, you just meet so many people, and you get so many different opinions, and you get so many different ideas of things that you can talk about. You know, I, I don't get to do the late-night Twitter sessions anymore. I just, I don't stay up late enough to do that. Um, just the, the way I've kind of changed my schedule around, I, I, I don't really do that. But I used to love that. You know, you get all this interaction, and... You know, you're just answering questions left and right, people that want to hear about it. You know, if you got a chance to do a Twitter Spaces and you can um, interact with people that way, it's different than like a Facebook. I, I could never, you know, we, we had a Facebook page. We still have a Facebook page. I never use it, never update it. Because Facebook to me is just like a, it's just a blog. It's just a, it's just a static piece of paper um, where you put some information on there and, you know, you share some pictures and you do that. It, it's not the same thing. It's not the same level of interaction. And I can safely say that I've met a lot of good friends. Hey, you know, I, I'm sure I wouldn't have done um, the book with Brad if it probably wasn't for stuff on Twitter. There's there's a big difference even just in terms of feeling comfortable interacting with someone. All right. Now, a podcast is one form. A website is another form. And you, you do get used to, to listening to people and talking to them in that regard. But 
you gain, I, I think, a different sense of being comfortable with being to approach someone that you have no idea who they are, but simply because they're posting their 140 characters or 280 characters or whatever it is over and over again, and they might interact with people, they might talk with people, they might put up some interesting graphs, interesting charts, whatever it is, you kind of get like this feeling that you know them. And that makes it easier for that person to reach out and say, hey, you know, can you tell me a little bit about this? Or can you, um, can I talk to you about that? Because you probably wouldn't get that if there there wasn't that that sense of interaction that, you know, hey, he's just the same as any of us, um, you know, because you lose that, you know, and I, I kind of feel as if a lot of what we've seen on Twitter since Musk took over the company from the front facing side, it's really not a lot different than before. Certainly in the sports realm, it's not. Um, you know, they, there, are, there are things where you see there's more um, posts that probably shouldn't be on, whether it's anti-Semitic posts, racist posts, um, you know, different types of language and stuff being used. Yeah, are people emboldened somewhat by it? Yeah, but I, I don't, I'm going to be honest, I don't know how much of that is a long-term thing. You know, I think a lot of that is you try to push the envelope to see how far that envelope can get pushed because you know there's a new person that's coming in and the thing that was talked about the most was how much things were going to change. And let's be honest, it's not like Twitter was this happy, safe, loving environment for everybody and now he's blowing that up. You know, that's never been the case. It's always been kind of like the NFL with a lot of different things, reactionary. Things occur and you have to react to that. You know, there there was a big difference in the way things had to react um, pretty much pre-COVID. You know, everything post-COVID, post-George Floyd, that caused a lot of changes. But when you look at the stuff before that, you know, whether it was Donald Trump saying something, or if you like Donald Trump, whether it was a different politician saying something, you know, people would say crazy stuff and you would say, oh, I'm never coming back to Twitter. But you always come back to Twitter because it's a place where you get your news. It's where you have your your people, your, I don't know, tweeps, whatever you want to call them, that, you know, they're your buddies. You know, now he's trying that stupid thing with the blue check mark. And yeah, okay, that blew up. Right, right away, what happened? Well, because so many people were saying this is a pretty stupid idea, um, people immediately try to take advantage of it by, you know, making accounts the same way when he said, Well, you know, if you say it's a parody, it's okay. And people were basically making fun of him. Um, you know, you, you had someone impersonating Adam Schefter, and, you know, they put out a, a quick post that um, uh, Josh McDaniels, coach of the Raiders, got fired. And it's like, ah, you know, this is just, it's that. But think of how many times you've been fooled in the past by the Adern Schefter or the um, Adam Scheffler or whatever, whatever play on words there was from Big Reporter. And whether there was or was not a blue check mark at the time, it really didn't make a difference because once something shows up in your timeline, which it does, this is how these things get spread. Something winds up in your timeline from someone you follow. It's like, you know, seven degrees of Kevin Bacon, right? You can you can always find a way to link up. And, you know, that that's basically what this is. It's like you've 
some, somewhere in there, you can connect yourself to Kevin Bacon. You can connect yourself to the Adam Schefter uh, impersonator, whoever, whomever he may be. And it didn't matter if that little check mark was or wasn't there. <coughs> you saw it on your timeline very quickly. It was like, oh, wow, that, that's pretty wild. Retweet. And then you realize after the fact, like, okay, I was had. Oh, I got, you know, I got Ader and Sheftered. And, you know, that's always been a thing. Does this add an extra layer to it? It does. And it, it makes it terrible for free agency and stuff like that. Um, you know, unless they, they modify those rules, assuming Twitter still exists, of course. Um, but it's always been an issue. So it's not like this was a new thing that's destroying Twitter. You know, I, I, I kind of get where he's coming from because I get this feedback from a lot of people and it's complaints, probably the better word, not the feedback. You know, you put out something somebody doesn't agree with. They come back with the, you know, you blue check marks. You you think that you can just say whatever you want. And it's like, I have a blue check mark because I have a website. And at the time when they were doing verification, I got asked. You know, there's no, there's no special power the blue check mark gives you. You know, I'm giving you an opinion on Twitter because I enjoy interacting with someone on Twitter, whether it's a negative thing about the Jets or a positive thing about the Jets. It has nothing to do with having a blue check mark. It has to do with me wanting to talk about the Jets. We're going to avenge that loss to the Patriots this week. But, uh, you know, that that's all it is. But what he's trying to do, you know, sucker some people, swindle some people out of a couple bucks a month and you know, basically put forth something that says you can be a blue check mark too and therefore your opinion will be considered valid on Twitter. Except once everybody has them, it doesn't really, you know, doesn't really make someone stand out anymore. But the main concept of the blue check mark is just basically so when you have a, an important, a, it, not a, I'm not going to say important, but a notable person, a notable individual, reporter, politician, um, you know, some type of local government official, someone who's running some type of organization, you, you don't, you know, you, you want to know at least as, to the best of your ability that that's the, the person that you're talking to. You know, that's the person that's putting this out. Um, you know, and that's the purpose of it. And, you know, obviously he he missed the boat on that one. Um, you know, the, the stuff that you read... Um, from all the people talking about, you know, the disaster and everything else. I think you had a lot of people that came into this with a very negative opinion um, of him personally. And, you know, you can you can certainly have that opinion. Uh, he comes across a lot of times like a jerk. Um, you know, obviously he's done very well with his other two businesses, uh, you know, with some of the stuff that he's he's accomplished there. You know, that that's... That's some pretty impressive stuff, what, what his other companies have done. And, you know, there, there was a time where he was like a crypto king with his Dogecoin love and all that nonsense. But quite frankly, the people that you should be mad about when you start saying that, you know, Elon Musk is trying to destroy what was created, you should be aggravated with the board of directors from Twitter. He didn't really want to buy Twitter. He made a stupid statement and they realized that, 
well, you know what? This is the best way that we can make money because Twitter, the one thing that Facebook has done, you know, that Google has, not with Google Plus, but what Google's been able to do, they're able to monetize content. That's very hard to do. The Twitter platform, I don't think, lends itself to be the the money machines that those other companies are. You know, it, it's not great for advertising because of the speed of everything that comes by and the fact that you do get locked in on the people that you follow and the conversations you have and you very quickly are able to, at least I am, you know, just to blow off when you, you get the the big ad that, you know, jumps in the middle of your screen or something. Whereas, you know, these other things, they're buying stuff, they're doing whatever. Um, you know, I mean, you have games you can buy, you have all these different things. You know, Google has insights into everything you do to, to show you ads and everything else. Um, you know, it, it's it, it's a big struggle. And I, I think when you when you look at Twitter from the, the perspective of an investor, I think they would tell you the same thing. Yeah, he should have gotten rid of the CEO and all the all the other people. You know, and that they probably do need a leaner operation. But his coming in there, I think with this combative attitude and you know, when you take over something, same same way when a coach comes in, a new coach, right? You're coming in and you do want to surround yourself with your guys. Right? A head coach comes in, well, what happens? Well, a lot of his staff that was in the last place eventually ends up in, you know, this place. And in the NFL, obviously, that turnover happens much quicker. But a lot of times in the corporate world, it takes about a year. You know, you, you work within the existing framework while you're hiring other people and, you know, you're getting other people prepared to do these jobs and then you switch over. He took a very different approach to it and took a group of people that were very negative towards him, I think, to begin with. And instead of trying to, you know, ease in bringing in his guys and putting forth his vision for, you know, what can make the company more profitable... I think he just came in with these crazy ultimatums that follow more along the lines of, you know, probably when Twitter was first formed, what a lot of the people would say, you know, okay, yeah, you, you expect us to work 17 hours. Yeah, well, that's fine because we're just having fun fooling around with, you know, building this product. You know, th this is what we do. But, you know, now it's, you know, an older and more mature group. You can't just come in there and go from, you know, we're, we're doing remote work to basically saying, I expect you to be working 80 hours a week and in the office and, you know, trust in me. I've done some great stuff before. You believe in me. I'm telling you, I'm going to take you there. It's like it, it, you're immediately just going to get knocked down. And that's created this thing. And you even see it. I think there, there are people who enjoy Twitter, but at the same time, they're kind of happy to see him fail at something. And... I think the platform itself is, it's too important at the moment, um, you know, to just be happy if it vanishes, you know, and if you want to dunk on Elon Musk, you're not going to have a place to do it when Twitter's gone, or if Twitter's gone. Uh, you know, it, it's just, it's it's a weird thing. It, it's not, you know, we, we've seen other things come and go, right? 
MySpace. That was a big thing for some time and then disappeared. Something like you know, Google Plus or whatever, that, you know, that never caught on. Um, but other ones caught on, but they were replaced because there were other options. You know, if you want to use that word utility, they lost their utility. You know, MySpace lost their utility. You know, Facebook surpassed them in terms of user interface, the things that you could put on there, the way that you could connect with other people. And then MySpace eventually, you know, you get bought out by the, the big, large group. They, they turn it into something that's different and you're not going to compete with, you know, a YouTube at that point. And so you, you've just kind of lost your footing. You've lost your place. You don't have a role anymore. There will probably come a time where that does happen with Twitter. But I don't think that time is now. You know, it's not like the concept of Twitter. You take out the economics of it and you take out the, um, right now, the, the basically the clash that's going on between the owner of the company and the employees of the company. Twitter's not being undone by the fact that there are other places to go. Right? You, you go back to the other stuff again, you know, before you know, Donald Trump gets banned. All the complaints that came when they started putting stuff on his tweets that were basically like, you know, these these aren't verifiable. <clears throat> you know, that that this might not this might not be legitimate. You know, whatever he's saying. And he'd get all pissy about it and other people would, and again it was I'm never gonna use Twitter again. And they always all be back on Twitter. All the people. So you get banned. You know, I guess they're all on truth social um you know but it, it's not like there was another alternative for them to go to even then you know you, you had someone with millions and millions and millions and millions of followers didn't have somewhere to go they had to create another platform so it, it, this still has use so anyway i think it'd be a shame if it disappeared right now, um, you know, it, for these, for the reasons that are being talked about, you know, th th this isn't the same thing as the, the FTX guy who's just an absolute crook. I could go on for that stuff for days on end. There is no defensing that. And his ridiculous interview that he did, I have no idea who's advising him legally. It came through Twitter. Direct messages on Twitter. Where he made a fool of himself in an interview. That, that guy, that that that's a crook. That's a criminal. You know, that, that those are the type of people he really should be upset with. But anyway, in the event that Twitter goes, um, obviously you can find me on OTC uh, doing stuff here and there. And we'll be keeping up with that. And maybe I'll actually do more on the YouTube stuff every now and then. Um, you know, maybe we'll... I'll try to do a little bit more with that. It, you know, that that's, takes more time than doing the other stuff. But, you know, may, maybe that'll be something that we do. And we'll see what other kind of um, different things. Because uh, I firmly believe, even though I, I don't have the opportunities to do it as much, the fun that comes from it, really, it, it is that interaction with everybody. You know, people that get to listen to a podcast and email me about it. That's fun. You know, even if I don't get a chance to respond... 
that to me is fun. It's enjoyable. It's it's what the purpose of all this stuff is. Um, you know, so hopefully Twitter sticks around, but uh, we'll find our way. If not, so if you have any suggestions, you know, feel free to uh, send them over, and we'll kind of go from there. So into a couple of football things now, uh, since that's probably what you're here for. I thought, you know, the most interesting thing this week uh, was that fantastic game that happened from just, uh, Justin Jefferson. Um, just a fun game, all right? Just just a ridiculously fun game with all the ups and downs and everything else. But I am watching this kid play, and all that can come into my mind is I don't know if I have seen another receiver this good. You know, I know some people have brought up some names and stuff like that, and you, you, heard, you hear it in the broadcasts even. You know, they, they bring up a couple. Um, the most dominant wide receiver I ever saw play was Randy Moss, hands down. It's like, it's not even, not even debatable. All right. Randy Moss did not have the drive of a Jerry Rice. And obviously, he didn't have the longevity of a Jerry Rice. All right, Jerry, Jerry Rice was an incredible player. Randy Moss, when Randy Moss wanted to be, he was uncoverable. You could not cover him. It didn't matter where he had to go on the field. 40 yards down the field, he could be open. You want him open 10 yards down the field, he'll be open. You want him to drag across the middle, he'll be open. He could do anything he wanted. And physically, he was impossible to match up with, right? He was, what, 6'4", 6'5"? You know, just a just a giant frame. You know, and Jefferson doesn't have that size, but his athleticism is just so off the charts. It's the same kind of concept. Anything that he wants to do, he can do. You know, if you want him to blow past somebody down the field, he'll blow past somebody down the field. If you want him to run something out of the slot, he's going to run something out of the slot. If you want him to tiptoe those sidelines and be in a spot where Cousins can throw it to where he is the only guy that can catch it, he's going to do it. If you want him to be in a situation where he's got to high point the ball, and uh, Jefferson is, I think, 6'2". 6'1", 6'2", something like, which, you know, not small. Um, you know, but it, it's not that 6'4", 6'5". He goes up and he gets whatever he wants. Want him to take it away from somebody? He'll out-muscle you. I don't think there's another receiver like him in the NFL. You know, there's obviously plenty of productive receivers. You know, Tyreek Hill is ultra-productive. He just blows by you. But, you know, I, I was thinking about this. I can't come up with a comparable for Jefferson. Like, there's, to me, when you, you look at the receivers who have kind of reset the market in the last couple of years. And, um, you know, I, I, I probably should have pulled up the, some of the historic ones here. Uh, I didn't do that. 
Um, one of these days, I, I got to get back into doing, I only did the one that I published. I've done some other ones privately. Um, you know, the kind of the history of the positions and the contracts. I got to do one of these for wide receiver. You know, you, you look at some of the players who have kind of reset the market. You know, you had, you know, going back in time, you had the Des, well, you know what? You, you had the, um, it wasn't the Des Bryant. It's the Calvin Johnson, Larry Fitzgerald deals. Calvin Johnson was a monster too. You know, you, you could, you could probably put him kind of in that same category, um, you know, as well. But, you know, you had him and you had Fitzgerald. Fitzgerald was more of that, you know, just super ultra polished receiver. Um, you know, those guys set high watermarks at about $16 million a year at a time when the market was like 10 to 12. They had kind of different leverages based on when they were drafted versus the system now. But when you look at kind of the modern stuff, because, you know, the, the league has become a little bit more interchangeable, I think, with receivers. Um, you know, you had DeAndre Hopkins' first deal with Houston. And Hopkins is a terrific player. You know, he, obviously he's, he's able to put up big numbers with um, multiple different types of quarterbacks. Uh, you know, and then, then you get into really what was the next two, which was Beckham and Thomas. Um you know, both of them, that their bodies fell apart. Jefferson blows those two away. You know, Michael Thomas is like a, a you know, really, he's a good player. Um, you know, great hands. You know, anything that comes his way, he's going to bring it in. Um, he understands how you find those soft spots in the zone. He understands, you know, all that stuff before he broke down. You know, Beckham... Um, kind of the way that Cup is, you know, had that ability, you know, kind of going across and, uh, you know, would make these big plays, yards after the catch if he could hit him in stride. And, um, you know, you have Cooper Cup now, uh, who's, you know, has that kind of that same ability, um, doesn't do as many crazy catches maybe as Beckham used to, to do every now and then. Uh, you know, but you look at some of these other guys, you know, Hill... I guess would be the high watermark now around 25. I know it says 30 on the site. So on the site, you're going to see Hill at 30, um, Adams at 28, Hopkins 27.25, and Cup 26.7. Your real high watermarks here are either Cup at 26.7 or Hill at a real value at 25. Um, Hopkins, that was pretty much proven. That was just a, a phony baloney deal. No one accepted it. And same thing with Adams. Adams' deal is like around 22.5. Um, so you're looking at those two players and Jefferson is obviously much younger and I think he's more productive than both of them. Different maybe kind of productivity, but I, I think he's more productive than both. And he's going to be eligible for an extension after this season. And I'm, I'm going to say two things with him. If I were him, I would not step foot on a football field next summer unless I have a new contract in hand. And if I do not have a new contract in hand, I think I would make it well known that I will not play football again uh, in the future after this, you know, 
the the following seasons for the Minnesota Vikings. Like my goal at that point is just to become a free agent. And even though the waiting time obviously is a long time for that, because he's going to have, uh, you know, next season under contract, and then he's going to have the option year. He is so good. And, you know, usually most guys hold up over the course of the rookie contract. He will be a player if you get to free agency. I don't think teams would shy away from giving up two first-round picks for him. He is one of the rare receivers that can completely change the dynamic of a football game. Most guys can't do that. He can. And I, I think the question is, you know, how much money are we talking? And I think the target for him should be the first legitimate contract to top $30 million a year. Not not in the Tyreek Hill vein where you have one year at the end, that's a ridiculous amount of money. Nor should this be a position where it's next man up, right? A.J. Brown got 24 or 25, so he gets 26. He is so much better than everyone else. You have to bring back that concept of the outlier player. You know, this is a concept that's kind of lost in the modern NFL. Um, And I guess a lot of it is because everything is so scheme-oriented. You don't really have... Um, outlier players. An outlier player back in the old days, um, you know, basically the pre-2011 CBA, were players who were just considered so far superior that the market itself for that position didn't really have an impact. When I say pre-2011 CBA, it means you had to be drafted then. It could it could have still happened after that. You know, I'll, I'll, you know, Darrell Revis, for example. He didn't want to talk about cornerback contracts. Um, You know, originally he did only because you had another outlier player that happened to be a corner. But once Mario Williams got to 16, he just wanted to peg himself to, I'm the best defensive player in the game. I want the same thing as him. You know, Larry Fitzgerald, Calvin Johnson, again, they, they had different leverages from the way their cap had been structured uh, because of the old rookie system and just gross mismanagement, especially in the case of uh, Detroit, of what they did with the rookie contracts. You know, they were they were putting forth, um, you know, the, this concept of, you know, we're we're just in a different class of player, and you better pony up, you know, because of that. Uh, Adrian Peterson got that treatment. So did Chris Johnson. Um, you know, the other corner that I had mentioned was, uh, Nandi Asamoah when he was on the Raiders. But a lot of times you discounted what the Raiders did because the Raiders were terrible. Um, you know, and just a very poorly run organization. Um, but you know, you, you would see those players that were like that. The concept of the outlier player started to vanish, you know, a quarterback, um, it really never existed at quarterback, but it completely vanished when Rodgers took that deal that he did in 2013, I believe it was. And that contract completely changed the way that we we focus on quarterbacks now. 
where everybody is kind of grouped together and you get that next man up philosophy. That's because of Aaron Rodgers. And because of that, that has kind of been able to translate to almost every other position. You know, the the only position right now where there really are those players, um, and it's not even that big, but at guard, it's Quentin Nelson, which is a deal the Colts regret, I think, right now. You had Laramie Tunsil with the Texans. He, he had kind of hit that point before. And then you have Aaron Donald with the Rams. You know, that that's really it. Um, you know, in the, the Donald deal, you could look at a couple of ways, I, I guess. Uh, but he, even Aaron Donald's first deal that he did, um, you know, around $22 million a year. You know, that, that really pushed the market from where, like, the Fletcher Coxes of the world were. So, you know, it... If I'm doing Jefferson's stuff, I want to look back and that's what I want to be bringing up. And my leverage, while, yeah, the situations are a little bit different, but I think my leverage is that, you know, a team gave up a first-round pick and a big contract for A.J. Brown. My guy's a lot better than A.J. Brown. Teams have given away two first-round picks for Jamal Adams. They've given away two first-round picks for Jalen Ramsey. They've, you know, given up two first-round picks for a number of players. Yet you're, you are getting a little bit of a benefit because you are getting the tail end of the rookie deal. And you're not going to get that if you're signing this guy. But, you know, as a franchise player, you know, he kind of fits that mold. And I, I think all, all it takes is one team. And I think you'll find that. You know, the, the thing that's really changed, again, going back to the, the old system, you know, in the old system, teams were not as smart. Uh, and teams were, I think, not as aware um, of the breakdowns that were coming with age. You know, back then, remember, you had a first-round pick. They were under contract for six years, you know, your top picks in the draft. So you would be, you know, you, you would have a player like an Eric Berry. He was the last player uh, under that system where he played out his entire rookie deal. They still franchised him, and then they came back and they did the big deal with him. Terrible at the end of the day, um, you know, with the way that worked. But that used to be the system. Now it's a little bit more difficult, but I think Jefferson would fall into that category even if he got tagged, you know, to, to where other teams are going to look at it and go, he's not going to break down. He is the guy that will make the difference, and, you know, he, he's a legitimate competitor. You know, th- there's not that worry that maybe there was at Randy Moss when he ended up on the Raiders. Like, is he or is he not going to be motivated in Jefferson's case, I think you just see it and you just know he's going to dominate the football game with big impact plays. So I, I think, again, when you go back in time and you go and you look at you know a, a player like a Larry Fitzgerald, um, you know, and I, I can't remember exactly... Um, what the market was at the time, and I'm a little too lazy to look it up. But let, let's say it was, um, you know, it, it was anywhere from like a 35 to a 60% raise um, over top of the market at the time. 
So, I mean, realistically, that puts you somewhere in the range if you're, you're looking for Jefferson here at something like 34 to 40 million a year. You're not going to get there. I already know that. But you absolutely should be pegging yourself to, okay, I'm the best player in football. You, know, you, you don't peg yourself to the quarterbacks. You know, that, that was like the nonsense that Beckham was going to do. Because you, the numbers don't make sense to, to do that. But these, others, these other numbers do. You know, T.J. Watt is $28 million a year. Aaron Donald is $32 million a year. You can very easily say, you know, okay, your top defenders make $30 million a season. So I'm your top offensive player who's not a quarterback. You know, give me $30 million a season. And the teams that would probably be most interested in him are those that have those young rookie quarterbacks. So, you know, you're you're going to come to them, and I think that's an easy case you can make. You don't have a quarterback making 45. You got a quarterback making 10. And I'm going to make that $10 million guy, I'm going to make him look like he's worth 50. And if you don't have me, you don't know if he's going to look like that. That's the argument. So, you know, if I'm him next year, you know, I, in the summer, I want them over 30 million bucks a year. And if they're not going to offer that, I don't think he should take it. So you know what? You don't give me a deal. I'll play this out. I'll play out my option year. Franchise tag me and watch what happens. I'll be gone. And you're going to get fired for me being gone. That's what's going to happen. So I think it's a really interesting one. You know, if he comes out and he does not approach it that way and he just kind of approaches it with next man up, you know, well, Cubs 27, I'll take 28. That's a big win for Minnesota. You have to look at yourself when you are that level of talent and you can do everything. You have to look at yourself as a special player. All right, they're few and far between in the league. I admit that. But the quarterbacks haven't done a good job of saying, I'm a special player. You know, the, the only guy who's done a good job of saying, I'm a special player in the last couple of years quite honestly, has been Donald and to a lesser extent, probably Khalil Mack. That's really been it. Um, you know, I, I don't think anybody else has really done it. You know, you've seen little jumps and you've seen moves. You know, but it, but even the, even the Mack one, you know, Mack got to 23-5 at a time when the real break was psychological. All right, Von Miller was at like 198. You know, it was it was a psychological thing to get over 20. 
And there is probably a psychological thing with getting over 30, like a legitimate 30, not a not a fake money Tyree Kill 30. Um, but, you know, that that's that's where he should be. You know, and the quarterback should have done the same thing. You know, Mahomes shouldn't be 45. Mahomes should be like 55. <laughs> you know, um, Mahomes in no way, shape, or form uh, just two years after signing a deal or three years after signing a deal should be the uh, fifth highest paid quarterback. Yeah, it was just poor job. But Jefferson, um, that's going to be a, a real special one, I think. But I, if I'm him, I'm digging in and I, I'm going for broke. So I guess from the good of Justin Jefferson, now we'll go to the bad, which is uh, <laughs> Derek Carr uh, with the Raiders. And not so much a, a Derek Carr issue, uh, more just a overall Raiders issue. But, you know, he had a pretty emotional press conference because I, I think you can start to see the writing on the wall um, in his case where things are kind of going down for him. Um, you know, from from where he was just a little bit ago, and he knows he's probably going to be the fall guy. Um, for, you know, someone brought this up the other day and it's true, pretty much all the, the, um, quarterbacks who were signed to big money extensions have all been disasters this year, right? You've got Rogers at 50. They're a mess. You got Russell Wilson, who's just shot right now. Um, 49 that that's probably the worst contract in the league. Uh, you have Kyler Murray at, um, 46, Deshaun Watson hasn't played. Uh, you've got Derek Carr at 40.5. They've been terrible. Stafford with the Rams, he's been terrible. Uh, you have Cousins with the one year. That's fine. Uh, they're, they're playing well. Um, Baker Mayfield, disaster. Jameis Winston, disaster. Marcus Mariota is terrible. I mean, uh, eh, maybe terrible is not the word, but I mean, that that's the those are the list of players who signed deals this year at the quarterback mm-hmm. position. Um, obviously you can go way down and find Geno Smith and that's been, you know, a fantastic signing. Uh, that, that is an article that you can read. It, it's from the other week, so I wasn't going to cover it now. Maybe we'll do that next week. Just the best and worst free agent signings this year. Um, but maybe we'll do one where we just look at the worst signings overall. But, um, you know, anyway, Carr, even though Carr signed this extension this year, the contract was kind of bizarrely, man, that bizarre is not the word. It was very team friendly in its design. It was almost as if it was a contract that was something more for public show than it was like a legitimate contract. You know, the numbers were big, you know, 40 million for car. It's nonsensical, I think, 40.5. Um, but the raise that he received this year is actually pretty small. So, I mean, they they did this deal for him. And it's not like it's insignificant. But, I mean, the, the raise that he got this year, I'm just looking it up, $5.12 million, um, which is, in the grand scheme of things, when you consider we're talking about a $40 million deal, 
um, you know, that, that's not a huge amount of money. You know, for, for example, um, Kyler Murray this year, let me see what kind of raise he got. I should just use the player comp, but I'll do this manually. Uh, you know, he got about a $25 million raise, $24 million raise this year. So, you know, the, the, the raise that Carr got is not huge. Um, you know, it's in line with the raise that was given to Darren Waller, uh, who got about a $6 million raise. And, you know, Waller actually got his salary guaranteed next year, or a portion of it guaranteed, not, not fully guaranteed or anything like that. But Carr did not. Carr only got injury protection. So Carr's salary next year is $33 million. Um, of which 32.9 million is guaranteed for injury, and it becomes fully guaranteed five days after the Super Bowl, um, this year's Super Bowl. Uh, his 2024 salary is 42 million, of which 7.5 million is guaranteed for injury, and it will be that 7.5 million becomes guaranteed uh, five same time five days after this year's Super Bowl. And then his 2025 salary is uh, 41.3, and none of that is going to be guaranteed under any circumstance. So, you know, the guarantee package on this, I mean, it's kind of said it at the time, uh, was not very strong. Uh, but it, it did have um, some considerations there for Carr. So one of the things is if you want to say that he gave the Raiders a discount uh, with the guarantee on the deal, which I think you could see, Part of the concept is, yeah, he did that, but he got a no-trade clause. And so it's like, yes, he gave the Raiders a discount, but he doesn't want that discount to transfer to another football team. Um, problem with that argument is I think if Derek Carr was released tomorrow, I don't think he would get himself a contract that would pay him the same amount of money. You know, I'm just looking at this deal here. His remaining deal is 33, 42, and 41, 3. So over three years, that's 38, 8. I don't think he'd get that open market. I, I think he'd be looked at as damaged goods if he got released. So, you know, that in many ways, that renders that no trade moot because it's like, well, you know what? If somebody was willing to trade for that deal, because the guarantee would only be a year and a half, you know, Indianapolis, perhaps. Um, talk about somebody getting a raw deal there. Um, yeah, I'll talk about Indy for a few minutes, too. Uh, <laughs> you know, if somebody was willing to trade for it because next year is 33, and then you'd be locked in at the 7-5 guarantee, which you could always bring down. You know, if somebody wanted to do that, I, I think he'd be willing to, to accept that trade because... I think you'd be you'd like the certainty that exists with this contract versus the uncertainty of free agency. Um, That's just my opinion on it. But you know, the other thing that he got in it is it is a favorable vesting date. So if you are the Raiders, the way this would have to work is you would have to have to either release Carr. Um, right after the Super Bowl, and your dead money on him would be uh, just $5.625 million, 
Um, so you'd save a lot of cap room. You know, he's a $35.9 million cap hit next year. <coughs> but if you're not going to do that and you want to trade him, you know, you can't do a trade until the new league year starts. So his salary would be guaranteed. So basically what they have to do is in that period in, in the NFL where typically if you're not in the playoffs, it, it's kind of dead. Um, you know, it, unless you're, you know, other than signing futures contracts or maybe a random extension here and there, but it's kind of dead. Um, you know, if you're those other teams, you basically have to spend the whole month of January trying to trade Derek Carr and get a team to commit to trading for him and Carr agreeing to that trade. And then obviously the trade can't take place until uh, the middle of March. Whatever the date is of the new league year, March 16th, March 17th, I forget whatever the date is. Um, you you, You would have to do that. If you don't have a trade partner, you're locked in on his contract for next year. So I think this is a real interesting one. Um, you know, the Raiders have that feel of a team that's back to being that retirement home. Uh, if you want to go back and you just want to look at the deals they signed this year, it's hard to find many teams that have had a worse um, season. You know, you, you look at the Raiders. This year they signed Derek Carr to that extension. You signed Devontae Adams, the big free agent deal. Max Crosby has been terrific. That that one is a hundred percent awesome. Chandler Jones, I have him as the second worst free agent signing this year. Um, I can't imagine anybody else uh, other than Jackson and uh, it's going to say San Diego, Los Angeles. Uh, I don't know how anybody else would put somebody else worse than the Jones signing. You have the Darren Waller extension that's been a mess. Hunter Renfro has been invisible. Um, you know, the, these are the deals that you signed. You know, they're just all awful. You know, you, you, you released more of your first-round picks. You know, you, you are, you, you're a disaster right now of a franchise. Um, you know, but you're locked in on most of these deals at least for the time being, except for Carr. And he's the most expensive of the deals. So I I think they have to strongly consider, especially based on where they're going to draft, probably moving on from him. And, you know, it's an unfortunate uh, side effect, I think, of the deal that he took. Because when you look at the deals they did for Crosby, when you look at the deals for Adams, and when you look at the deals for Jones and Waller too, there's no reason that he should not have gotten a portion of his salary guaranteed next year. Really probably should have gotten it all guaranteed, but at the very least a portion of his salary guaranteed. Um, You know, and I I think they missed the boat by doing that. I, I think that was a, you know, the Raiders just kind of appealing to maybe the good-hearted nature of someone. You know, we want you to be the face of the franchise, and you know, we, but we just can't commit. And then you watch them commit to everybody else, and it's like, well, 
you know what? Maybe, maybe you should have gotten them to commit to you as well. But I, I think there, there is a real risk um, that they could move on. Now, I, I think what you have to watch with them is not right now. Watch about four weeks from now, mid-December. See if they put them on the bench. Not because he can't play, but just because they're going to protect themselves from that injury guarantee kicking in. Um, you know, see see the way that works out and then see what they do. You know, that, that, that to me might be a, a very telling thing. Because if he does get hurt, that does lock in the money. Ooh, then you're in a much tougher spot. Uh, other thing that I'll, I'll touch on real quick here, just because I didn't get to the other week, Frank Wright got a really shitty deal. You know, to get fired the way he did by that owner is just absolutely ridiculous. Um, I, I don't understand the complaints that came from that about the analytics and whatever else. That, to me, was a pure... I, I, it was a pure money thing. The Colts are one of the cheapest franchises in the NFL. And I, I think that that was spun, that he's the reason they, they traded for Carson Wentz. He's the reason they signed Matt Ryan. And you got all this all this money tied up in that position that's underperforming. And a lot of that is is because of him. And it's ridiculous that you basically had an owner that came in and forced him to play a kid who had no business playing in the NFL just for the sole purpose of being able to fire the main head coach and then you bring Matt Ryan back in. You know, I thought maybe they didn't want Matt Ryan's guarantees to kick in for next year or whatever it might be. And nothing to do with that. It was the, him proving a point. You know, and you've got uh, Ballard, who I like. You know, but he's up there, you know, basically to talking about the things that people would have said to him about, you know, drafting in a different direction or doing... You're not going to be successful if you, you know, if you have that. I talked about having thick skin on Twitter. You know, you really got to have thick skin if you're a general manager. Don't let the, the media people get to you. It's their job especially when things aren't going well, to probably not praise what you're doing. You know, it's their job to come up with scenarios that might make sense. You don't have to listen to them. Don't let it guide you and don't get upset by it. Now, your big mistake that you made was not drafting a quarterback. You took running back, receiver, whatever, you know, you, you should have taken a quarterback, at least tried. Now, I think part of Reich's undoing is the success his, coach, his other coaches have had. Um, you know, obviously the Eagles are incredibly successful. You know, they're, they're running a high-powered offense. You know, forget this past week, but, um, you know, they're running a high-powered offense. Out in Chicago, you have a team that plays competitive football. They haven't learned to win yet. Um, you know, but they, they go out there and they play competitive football. And 
they've found something for the moment in Justin Fields where they are running this explosive offense. It's a defensive coordinator, never flus, running a, a legitimate explosive offense right now in Chicago because they've basically designed the offense around Justin Fields' strengths. Fields still does some crazy stuff here and there, but they, they've designed that around his legs. And I'm sure he's looking at that and going, well, what, what did I keep you for if these guys look like they were the ones that were your success? But, you know, it, that, that's just an absolute joke, what went on there. That, that's absolutely terrible. Um, you know, I, I, I don't really care that Jeff Saturday got hired. You know, maybe, maybe that gives hope for one of the, the local teams here. You know, you guys want to hire me, right? Uh, I'm kidding. Uh, you know, he's got obviously a very long NFL career. But, you know, I, I understand why people are upset with that hire. You know, a lot of guys go from being a star player to, you know, having to be a low-level coach. You know, work their way up. Um, you know, but he's, I guess, buddies with the owner, whatever. I don't, I don't care. You know, it's out of the box higher. It's that out of the box higher, but uh, you know they what they did to Reich was terrible, and I can understand. You know, when you look around this league right now, um, in my mind, there are two jobs. Let me see if there, there's another one, but I I think. I, yeah, you know, the, the way that I think I, I would look at this right now, I would say there are two jobs in the NFL that you are only interviewing for because you're just desperate to to get a coaching job, and that's the Texans and the Colts. Like, to me, both of those teams are just, there's no reason at all that you should go and want to be a coach of those teams. Just the, the way they approach everything at the moment, you you shouldn't want to be a coach there. Now, if you want to throw the commanders into the mix, uh, if you want to throw... yeah, I, Really, that would be the team. Yeah, it would be Washington because of the stuff that goes on with the owner. I can kind of understand that. I could even understand it if Belichick retired and... You know, you don't want to come in and be the guy that replaces Belichick because it's a that's just a losing proposition. You know, I I, I could understand that, um, but you know, the, it, it's those two teams: it's the Texans and the Colts. They're just right now horribly run organizations. You know, it, it's just when when you look at what's done, like why would you even want to be there? Yeah, you know, you're just setting yourself up for probably career failure. Uh, so real quick, you know, I never got a chance to talk about the Jets' uh, big win against the Bills. Um, huge win. That that was the Jets' first real legitimate win of the season. Um, they, they've had other games where they've played well. You know, you, you beat the teams on your schedule. Uh, I don't care who's playing quarterback for them or... Whatever, you, be, you beat the teams in front of you. That was the first legitimate win Jets have had in some time. Um, they got back to what they did well. You know, the, the Jets were very clearly spooked by that Brees Hall injury and maybe to a lesser extent the AVT injury. They got back to what they did in this game. 
you know, they got back to just running the football. And, you know, you, you, you can say about the run and, you know, that it's not as effective, which it's not. But when you have a year right now where there's really no great football teams, you know, maybe you can win that way. And if you've only got to pull off one win in the playoffs, you know, maybe something, you know, can work. But they got back to their basics, um, you know, with the stuff that they did. And, you know, I, I love what Sauce Gardner did at the end of that game. You know, Josh Allen, my Lord. You know, he throws you in and out of games. But coming off that hit where he had the elbow injury, that pass to Davis was just amazing. And Gardner's coverage, I thought, was great. Some people were saying P.I. I didn't see that. I, I just saw him flapping his arms a lot in front of the guy and making sure not to run over him. The ball went right through his hands. Not Gardner's, Davis's. He still could have caught it. That was just an amazing... Like, I don't even know how he threw that ball that far. That guy's got just amazing talent. Ooh. But he's also back to doing some really boneheaded things. You know, but that that's what you need when you have days where that, that guy plays like that, which Allen did. You know, he costs them tons of points with just bad turnovers and stuff. Um, you know, you can compete then. But they got back to basics with that. It was they, they completely went away from that against the Patriots. And I think this week they'll go back to it. I think this will be the Michael Carter, James Robinson show. Um you know, it's all, I know we get caught up in the things. Um, they're interchangeable positions. You know, you can find guys that can play those positions. You just can. Um, you know, but the the, the main thing with the, the Jets against Patriots, just, you know, you can let Wilson throw the ball. It's just the minute he loses it, it's gone. Um. So I would rather just limit whatever he does. Just rely on your strengths. You know, your defense and that running game. The Patriots are not explosive enough on offense to where you're going to have to score a bazillion points. You know, against the Bills, I thought they were going to have to score a bazillion points. As it turned out, Josh Allen would turn the ball over enough to where they didn't need to do that. So, you know, I, I think the Jets made that game against the Patriots too big for themselves. I think they outcoached themselves. Um, and I think that's a game that in hindsight, I think you look at that and say they lost it during the week with all the pressure they put on themselves to prove it wasn't the same old Jets. Um, now, I will never say it's not the same old Jets until December. I've seen so many December collapses. But, uh, you know, I, I think they, they should win this week. I think they have a uh, a good chance to do it. And, you know, the field is wide open this year. You know, if Josh Allen is turning back into a pumpkin, you got a shot against the Bills. You know, and that basically leaves the Chiefs. You can compete with anybody else. I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's Miami or whomever. You can compete with anybody else. Um you know, it's Mahomes and Allen that are on different levels at times. But Mahomes is the only guy that I think you can, right now, that you can count on to always be on that different level. Josh Allen is just making too many mistakes right now, um, you know, to be considered there. 
but you know that it that that one is a hard out but uh yeah you know they gotta like the chances i think this week to uh you know maybe try to put those patriots in the uh rear view mirror all right let's take a look at questions here uh i do know that i had one the other week in the email it was a follow-up on the insurance question here we go just look up insurance um one follow-up this seems like a way to circumvent the cap because premiums don't count on top but the payouts will uh why don't teams or at least teams with wealthier owners insure every contract they sign and i think the reason for that is simply the cost of the insurance on it you know i i think the cost of the insurance is actually pretty big um you know and a lot of them the payouts on it are end up not being that that huge um you know, so I, I think that's a big reason why, you know, you, you don't see the, uh, that kind of stuff there. There are some different rules with those premiums that are there, but, um, you know, but for the most part, yeah, they're, they're not going to count on the cap, but, uh, yeah, I think that's a, um, I think that's kind of a big thing is just the amount of money that you'd be laying out. Um, and I guess the level of injuries that you need, it probably doesn't always pay out. So they, they really just do it for those tippy-top contracts where they have just so much money invested there. All right, let's take a look here. Uh, not sure if you talked about this recently. I'm a little behind, but expectations on Jacoby Myers uh, pending free agent contract. Um all right, let me take a look here, just at some numbers. So this is an this is an awful year for free agency. So let's just start with that. Um, you know, and it, it's a it's an awful year. Um, you know, for wide receivers. Uh, you know, it, it's just a it's just a bad year, I think. Um, you know, overall for that stuff. So that that might actually help. Um, you know, in terms of what he does. Let me just pull up some market here. All right, let's take a look here. So, you know, I, I think right now, if you look at where Myers is at, so let's pull up his numbers. You know, Myers right now, 65% snaps, 457 yards. Last year he had 866, he had 729. Um, you know, if you wanted to look at this as like a, uh, you know, a really, really, really weak class, um, you know, I mean, maybe you could come up to, I, I guess some people would say maybe that Christian Kirkish level, but I don't see that at all. You know, I, I look at someone who's a, he's an undrafted free agent. Um, so, you know, you, you're not going to have people that are looking at him just right off the bat saying like, okay, yeah, you know, th this, this is the real deal. So you've got, as an example, Deontay Johnson, uh, who's a third round pick and just kind of a volume dude, you know, he signed for 18, you know, he, he didn't really, he didn't hit those huge marks that people thought, 
Uh, Kirk is a second round pick, right? He signed for 18. Um, yeah, Kirk is a second rounder. Um, yeah, he was at 982 last year, 621, 709. You know, I, I would put Myers in that, that next class down. Um, you know, I, I would probably put him more along the lines of, I mean, if he's going to resign with the Patriots, you're going to ask for more than Aguilar, you know, which was at 11. But the, I think that's the group that I would put him in, would be kind of that group of players. But I mean, if you're looking for a comparable, you know, Tim Patrick is probably your comparable receiver. Um, you know, undrafted, uh, he was at 734 last year, 742 the year before. Uh, when did he sign that contract? You know, he's bounced around the NFL a little bit. Uh, Patrick signed in 21. That was probably in-season signing. I think is when that was. Let's look him up. Just give me a minute. I'm going to say that was an in-season signing. Yeah, 11-20. So, I mean, he was on his way, uh, you know, to to having that 750-yard kind of year. Um, you know, Valdez-Scantling got 10. Um, Valdez-Scantling was a fifth? Sixth? Fifth, fifth, fifth. I'm looking him up now. He was at 430, 690, 452, 581. Um, you know, and I think people gave him a positive, probably for the fact that he was playing behind Devontae Adams. Um, so, you know, Myers, you know, he, he's going to be somewhere, I think, um, I think he'll be somewhere in that realm, you know, so, somewhere in between all that stuff. Uh, you know, so I'm just going to go with this. If he re-signs with the Patriots, I'm going to say that he'll he'll be at like uh, 12, 13 a year. I think if he goes to free agency, I, I think he runs a risk of being 10 or less. I, I don't think I'd be that bullish on him. Uh, and he, I think he's a very good player. Um I don't know. I, 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 I'm just not seeing the stuff that is going to make him jump the way some of these other guys do. But it is it is a weak year in free agency. Uh, Damian Harris. Um, is Harris free agent this year? Mm, paid that kind of attention. Yeah, I guess he is. Um, I mean, I don't know. I to running back uh <laughs> you know it, it's it, if damian harris is going to look for more than six million let him walk you know i i you know i i get that uh you know you you like what he maybe brings to the table but you know just let him walk um you know if that's going to be the case but i i don't think that's he's going to be in that uh that ballpark 
Interested in your thoughts on how the Vikings handle uh, Denell Hunter's contract this offseason. Um, let's take a look at Hunter. All right, so Hunter is one more year under contract. No, that can't be right. Is this a void year? Or am I missing something here? Oh, they moved the money up. Um, well, as of right now, you know, he's not going to go anywhere. Um, I guess the question is going to be how, um, how upset is he going to be based on his contract? You know, I think here's the thing with Hunter. Um, Hunter is a very good player who obviously has some injury issues that you probably are a little concerned about. But uh, I think what you've learned is that Hunter is very clearly a number two. Um, you know, you need another strong pass rusher to pair him with. And, you know, he he will fill in the gaps that are left by the other pass rusher. Um, my assumption would be, so yeah, I, I think what they did was they moved the money up. I, I don't have all the notes in front of me, but I think they moved the money up and 2023 is still an active year, but his salary is very low. So he's not going to play for that. Um, you know, I, I, I have to double check the, those numbers to see, uh, I, I might be mistaken on on the notes on here. Um, yeah, we're just by not looking up the notes. My assumption is they will offer him a, a short-term extension. You know, if he's under contract for another year, uh, offer him, you know, with uh, two extra years. So three years total. Um you know, Hunter right now is at uh, 14 a year, 14 and a half. Um, you know, Smith is at 14. I, I think from a realistic standpoint, you know, numbers-wise, <clears throat> excuse me, I think you probably want to get him at like 10 a year, you know, as your secondary rusher. You know, if you are if you want to call him your 2, uh, your 1A, you know, offer him the same thing you offered Darius Smith. But I think that's probably what you would do. I, I think with Hunter, I think I would I would look to do, um, you know, if you want to keep him, I, I I might just let him go. But, uh, you know, if you wanted to keep him, I, I think what you would probably do is try to do an incentive-laden extension. And, you know, a lot of money tied to per-game bonuses and a lot of money tied to, uh, it's going to end up being sack totals because that's just what the stuff is. But I mean, you could do playing time as well. So I, I think those are uh, those are probably the right ways to handle that deal. Uh, Poe in Brooklyn is Carr's contract tradable? So I talked about that before. If he waives his no trade clause, I'm going to say again, all it takes is one team. So, yeah, it's probably tradable. Uh, but I don't think there's going to be this um, massive outpouring of teams that are willing to say, yeah, he's worth, you know, $38, 39000000 million a year. 
Um, let's see what to do with Aaron Rodgers. This going down the Big Ben path. Uh, yeah. So they they've screwed up that Rodgers deal. Uh, in the last couple of years, they've just screwed it up at every turn, and now the Packers are going to have to deal with it. Basically, Green Bay has to hope that Aaron Rodgers retires. Um, I don't know if another team would trade for him at this point. I mean, unless you were doing like bad contract for bad contract, like you take Russell Wilson and uh, they take Aaron Rodgers. So I, I think the only thing Green Bay can really hope for at this point is that Rodgers is just mentally checked out from the game and he's just done. Uh, because th- there's really no good options that they have at this point. Okay, let's see. Brian has a question here. Now that we're halfway through the season, I want to ask something again that I asked months ago. What does a successful season look like for the Jaguars? Originally, you said a playoff berth was their bar. Uh, what do you think happens if they don't get to the playoffs? I'm not sure what happens if you don't get to the playoffs, but again, I still think that's your your goal. I mean... You had the number one overall pick in the draft last year, the quarterback. You spent all this money on your team building up a defense, building up an offense. You've got these high draft picks on your team. I I don't see how not making the playoffs is a successful season. Now, if you don't make the playoffs, you're not going to fire everybody. You know, these guys just came in. Um but, you know, I, I think you have to be, if you don't make the playoffs, you should be really disappointed because you're, you're not showing growth as an organization. Um, you know, the, the Jets are showing some type of growth. Sustainable? Probably not. But they're at least showing something for the year. You know, the Bears showing at least a little something. Um, you know, I think probably more than the Jaguars have shown. Um, yeah, you look at a couple of different teams. You know, you, you look at the Bengals a couple of years ago. You know, the, the Jaguars went out and spent like the Bengals. Same quarterback situation as the Bengals. I still say, if you don't make the playoffs, I think this is a failure of a season. All right. Uh, why do teams add extra picks <clears throat> that essentially cancel out? Um, for example, with Hawkinson, a fourth and Chubb's uh, 2024 fourth and 2025 picks um, seems unnecessary. Um, also, what is the best way to the Bears to rebuild with all the cap space? Um um you know, with with the deals that they do, I I think for the most part um, you know, you're just adding stuff in. It's almost like a hedge, um, you know, that's in there. But a lot of times those picks that kind of look like they cancel like a four for a five or maybe a, a pick swap of a four, a lot of times they, they might have conditions on them. Um, you know, I, I think in the Hawkinson one, I think there's some conditions in there, um, you know, based on performance levels, uh, you know, that, that drop them down. So I, I think that's the... Um, that's the main thing. I, I think with his, it's something along the lines of like, okay, we'll we'll do a pick swap of fourths, but if you win a playoff game, then it drops to a five. So I, I think that's just a way of bridging a gap, um, you know, between a four and a five. 
Uh, you know, for the Bears, <sighs> that's an interesting one. You know, it's not a great year in free agency. I, I think if you're Chicago, first thing that you're going to do is you're going to look over your roster and determine who you want to give extensions to. And I think what you do is you utilize that cap space so you don't really have those dead money concerns, you know, later on. Um, even if it means maybe front-loading a deal, but in return you get better guarantees, um, you know, something like that. I, I think that's a uh, that's a reasonable option. And then I think the other thing is don't go into free agency looking for the, like these couple of home run hitters. You know, use your money to just build up your roster with a couple of guys that fit what you believe is your systems on offense and defense that can kind of slot in and, you know, give you solid play. And I, I think the main thing is just remaining flexible. Like, don't don't focus so much of your cap room on 2023 to where when 2024 rolls around, you're starving. You know, use a little bit in 23. This way you can use more in 24. And again in 25. You know, I, I think that's probably the way for Chicago to approach it. Uh, DC Rich, why is the cap for a few teams like Dallas, Philly, Tampa, Rams, among others, jump up on the PA website? They make some kind of restructures for all money or glitch. Um, OTC is usually pretty close. I hadn't heard anything. My assumption is probably just a glitch. I would guess that, uh, you know, maybe um, maybe switched on like top 51 accounting. Uh, there, there were a number of changes. Um, you know, something else happened. I, you know, you, you just you, you took some players that were supposed to be there. My guess is in a couple of days, um, those numbers will drop back to normal. I'll, I'll keep an eye out. But it was a large number of changes and. I hadn't heard anything, so I, I would say that, uh, you know, everything is probably normal. Uh, Matt, why do players promoted from the practice squad for one, uh, what do practice, sorry, what do players promoted from the practice squad for one game get paid? Is it different based on years of experience? Uh, yeah, that's what it is. So it's based on your years of experience. So if you're one of these veteran players um, who typically would make, you um, you know, uh, what's the minimum? 277.2. Let me just get that on a weekly basis. 15.4. Yeah, 15,400. And you've been in the league long enough to where your minimum P5 is 1.12 million. Um, you know, I'm just getting the numbers there. You know, you would get a raise that week of about 46 dollars $46,800. So it's all based on your years of experience. So if you're a rookie, you get seven oh five. Second year is eight twenty five. you know, for the week. Um, so you take whatever that number is and you divide it by 18. Gavin, if Quinn Williams uh, carries on his current form and gets around 12 sacks and a Pro Bowl berth, what kind of contract could he get from the Jets and what would be fair in order for it to work with the limited the Jets have next year? So um, you, you can make any numbers work. So I'm not going to say that there's anything that, uh, given their cap situation, they can or can't do. Um, I would say Williams has probably put himself in a position to get um, at least 20 a year. What's What was Leonard Williams? 
21, like 21, 5, 22 million a year. I think that's what he's put himself in position for. Um, I don't know if that's fair. I don't know if I would do that if I were the Jets uh, because I, I think getting him to consistently play at this level is pretty difficult. But I, I don't think he should sign a deal right now, you know, for under 20. Let's put it that way. Um, let's see, a Preston Smith question. Uh, let's see. Let me pull up Preston Smith's deal here. I mean, he's been okay this year, right? Let me see. Preston Smith. Uh, yeah, they did the four-year extension for him. All right, let me just read the question. Can you take a look at Preston Smith's contract extension? Tell me what the Packers were thinking. So I think that's pretty simple what they were thinking. They they He had nine sacks the year before. Um, they knew they weren't going to keep Zadarius Smith because of uh, the, the contract implications there. And I think they just decided that, you know, they wanted to keep one of their edge rushers. And this was the more affordable contract to kind of go with. Um, you know, I, I, I'm going to be honest. I, I don't think it's that bad. I mean, they can cut him next year if they wanted to. Uh, he'd leave them with about $10 million dead. But I think he's played well enough to probably keep that. So I, I, I think that... Um, you know, they, they were just looking to keep one of their pass rushers in-house. And that was pretty much all there, um, all there was to that. But I, I, I don't look at that and say that was that bad of a deal. All right. Uh, Black Gold. Which non-quarterbacks improved the free agent value the most this year? Can include one to two players away, like a Quinnen um, or Andrew Thomas. Well, yeah, obviously both of those guys increased their value a lot. I think Jefferson has increased his value. Um, you know, I, I think he's done a just such a phenomenal job. Um, you know, he... He was already going to be high, but I, I think he's gone to the point where, um, you know, he's just, he's just raised the bar significantly. Um, you know, other wide receivers, Juju Smith-Schuster, I think will get a nice little raise. I think Mac Hollins will get a pretty nice little raise. I think those are um, two players you look at. Uh, let's see. You know, Thomas is going to be, he should be the highest paid left tackle. Um, you know, once he once he gets a new deal. Um, seeing if there's anybody else there. You know, who's up for an extension pretty soon. I mean, Hurst. You know, and that, that that's not really, that's just getting a little bit better. Um, you know, offensively, let's see, right tackle. Not really. Let's see, defensive line. I'm looking at people who are immediately free agents. Uh, 
Dexter Lawrence's numbers have gone up. I think that's definitely one. Um, whoops. Let's see, linebacker, anybody here? Stands out, free agent. Not really. Safety. Let's see. Uh, yeah, corner. Let's take a look. You know, Patrick Peterson probably is going to get a raise even. Um, you know, with the stuff that he's done. Obviously, James Bradbury. Oh, I forgot about him. He's just on a one-year deal. Um, you know, the, the, those are guys who were, uh, you know, made the most out of this year. Um, but, you know, players like that. Do you think it's fair the Glazer family gets away with egregious leverage plays to purchase world-class professional teams? Family makes SBF FTX look like a saint. I don't think anybody makes that guy look like a saint. All right, that that guy is just beyond anything. Um, yeah, I don't really have much of an opinion on, on that, but in his case, you know, like I mentioned earlier, he's just a, a crook. Uh, Jacob, what would a Brian Burns extension look like in your opinion? Um, you know, I, I think right now, um, given everything that they've said, you know, publicly about how they wouldn't trade him and, um, you know, all the, all the stuff that they, they would want for him in return, um, you know, I, I think that puts him in a, really good leverage spot um you know when it comes to getting a new contract um you know he, in my mind he probably fits in the same mold as like chubb um you know is it 22 but given everything they've said i i think you probably are aiming for like 25 a year i would guess Uh, Jetcast, when will you come on the Jetcast pod? Uh, I don't know if I have time, but I guess if I have time and uh, you make it work, I'll try. Um, PD says, will the Jets extend Lawson and Davis to lower the cap numbers or do they move on? So I think given uh, how often that Corey Davis has been hurt, you know, barring a, uh, a wild, wild, wild um, just finish to the year, I think he'll be released, and I think Carl Lawson is the same thing. Um, you know, Lawson was hurt all last year. He has not lived up to this year. He has not lived up anywhere near the contract. He's like a he's a guy. Um, you know, he, he's basically a $15 million a year player that is probably giving you the same performance that you would find. Um, you know, if you don't sign an edge rusher right away, probably like $8 million a year. Uh, if, if you get bullish on a guy, maybe 10 or 11. Um, so I, I think both of them uh, next year will be either released or asked to take pay cuts if they want to stay. Uh, Humbaba, you are Justin Jefferson's agent. What would be your minimum contract demand? So I mentioned that before. Um, I think, I like I said, I, I can't imagine signing for anything less than a legitimate $30 million a year. Uh, Ricker, 
How do you think the Giants handle this upcoming offseason in terms of players who are eligible for extensions? Has your opinion changed on what they do with Barkley and Jones? If not, has it changed on what you think they will do? Um, oh, goodness. Uh, I think they're probably going to keep both of them. I, I would probably let Barkley walk, but I, man, I think they're going to extend him. I think the Giants will end up extending Barkley and doing a short-term extension with Jones. I mean, I guess they could tag him. I I don't think they will. I think they'd just offer him like a two-year deal that kind of cuts in the middle somewhere. Um, I think that's what they're going to do. Their their record is going to be too good for them to just walk away from the quarterback. Um, And really, to be honest, then walk away from the running back. So I I think they're going to extend Barkley. I mean, I guess they could tag him, but I I think they'll extend Barkley and uh, probably extend Jones. Uh, how can the Giants cut Galladay and not take a $21 million cap hit in the process? Um, I mean, they could try to get him to modify his contract. Um, I don't think he'll do that. Um, you know, for next... Uh, you know, uh, I'm sorry. I'm I'm looking at next year. I mean, his, his number next year is uh, 14-7 dead. Um, so, I mean, they're going to take a 14-7 cap hit. Um, you know, just don't let him get hurt because he's got more injury protection than that. What are your thoughts on how things are going for Falcons under the new regime? I think okay. You know, I, I think, um, again, I, I think in hindsight that the the Pitts pick is not what you should have done, um, and he's a good player. You know, has you know nothing nothing negative on that. It's just doesn't move the needle enough. But you know, I mean, they they're they're playing, they're compromised and playing competitive football. They're uh, four and six, I think, on the year. Um, you know, obviously they had a terrible loss last week, but uh, you know. I think they don't have a quarterback right now. They they probably need to make the change at quarterback just to, uh, you know, just to start to see, um, you know, what may happen in the future. You know, I, I, I think if it was, you know, if I'm them, uh, I, I would rather bring in the younger quarterback, trial by fire, try to let him get, um, some kind of chemistry down with London, get some chemistry down with Pitts. Uh, but I, I, I think that I, I still think that Pitts pick is um, one they're going to probably regret. And again, it, it's not because he's a bad player. It's just not the kind of player that you need when you're that bad. Um, you know, you, you, you look at where you were as a franchise. Now, I'm just pulling up the draft. You had Jamar Chase. You had Jalen Waddell. Um, 
you know, you could have taken one of the DBs. You could have taken Justin Fields. You had Micah Parsons sitting there. You know, it, it's just a, it, it was just a bad selection, um, you know, for what you wound up, you know, being. But I think all things considered, he's got him playing hard. And, you know, I, I think you're you're at least on a path to trying to change some things around. But they have a lot of work in front of them. Uh, Derek says, what do you think is worse, an overbearing owner like a Ursay or a partially disinterested owner like a Khan? Um, I think the overbearing owner is much worse. Um, I think the when you have an owner that changes what you do, which, look, going to the quarterback, that's Ursay. I, I don't care what anybody wants to say. That's on him. Uh, I think when you have that, it's near impossible to to put forth a, a good product for the long term. With someone like Khan, now I, I think you can get by with that. I, I think the negative is probably more when you don't have the right guys in the organization, um, you know, kind of like what you alluded to here, that you get stuck with these same people uh but i i still think that overall that's probably a better situation than one where you've got the owner trying to be general manager uh or head coach do you expect the nfl to release an estimate for the 2023 salary cap during the winter meetings this year do you think they wait for the sunday ticket to get finalized no i i think they they'll have their estimates that'll come out probably in a couple weeks um you know, and you'll get those then. So I, I think, uh, yeah, no, the couple of weeks we'll at least get a little bit of guidance that gets popped out there as to uh, what the cap will be next year. All right, so I think that'll do it for me. My voice is uh, dying out anyway. So uh, everybody have a great Thanksgiving. I'm not sure if I'll be back next week because of that. We're uh, traveling to the in-laws for the uh, for a couple of days, so I am not sure what my schedule will be next week, but. Uh, You know, knock on wood, hopefully the Jets will have a uh, big win. And hopefully I'll talk to you again, if not this week, then the following week after that. So everybody have a great week and I'll talk to you all again soon.